right, I rehearsed this introduction in my head and I forgot everything I was going to say. I am beyond excited. My palms are sweating. I'm losing weight through my armpits right now. I'm very excited here. So I was just, I was just reflecting this morning. You know, the biggest spiritual influences in my life would definitely be my mom, my dad, and my wife. And so, uh, so that's how it should be, right? Shaped in the home. How many of you guys are being shaped by your spouses, right? Yep. All right, good, 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 all right. So, um, but outside of my family, it has definitely been Andrew Womack. So in 1998, someone gave me a, a cassette tape called uh, It's a Done Deal, and I listened to it, I don't know how many times, dozens of times. It got in, my, got in my spirit, but it didn't get in my head for a long time. I was locked in legalism. If you heard me talk about my Pharisee days, this was back in my Pharisee days, Jim, arguing with everybody, trying to please God with my actions, just a whole mess. And so... Uh, it took 10 years of listening to Andrew. <laughs> uh, I listened to it for 10 years, and it, I, I hope it broke me out of most of that. And I think it really laid the foundation for everything, everything that we're seeing fruit of today in, uh, in, in my life and in this church. And so super thankful for him. And so, you know, it takes a brilliant mind to take the things of God and just to make them simple. I think that's one of the things we just love about Andrew. There's that simplicity of Christ, but there's a depth behind it to make it that simple. And so we appreciate him just living it out year by year. And um, I don't know what else to say, but let's give a Columbus welcome to my favorite teacher, Andrew Womack. Thanks, Jim. Praise the Lord. Well, thank you very much. Praise God. Well, what an honor to be here and to see what God's doing through Jim and Mary. And I remember those days when they were on staff at an Assembly of God church and would come over and, man, uh, Jim, I've never met anybody quite as hungry as he was. He would just pump me for all I was worth. <laughs> and they'd take me out to eat, and we went out to eat a number of times with them. Did you have any of your kids with you when you took us out to eat? Oh, yeah, okay. Who did I do that on, Josh? <laughs> well, praise God. Anyway, it is just thrilling to me to be able to see uh, what God has done with them. And man, I've heard some of the testimonies and I can just see the fingerprints of God all over this ministry. So that's awesome. It's really an honor for me to get to be here. And uh, he was telling me about your speaker that you're going to have the rest of the week and that he's a poet. Nobody has ever accused me of being a poet. <laughs> I had a guy say, I'm as plain as dirt. And, you know, I've got a great teaching. Matter of fact, I may share it this week, but dirt is miraculous. I now look at that as being a great compliment, but he didn't mean it that way. <laughs> and uh, we reconnected with Jim and Mary last year. We were in Pennsylvania at uh, Georgian Banos and uh, ministered. And, man, I got to hear Jim minister, and I was just amazed. And so when he asked us to come, I was really uh, glad to do it, and this is just a real honor for me. My wife's not with me. But uh, praise God, she was quoting Jim this last week. We had a blessing happen that was just over the top, and it, it embarrassed me. I had a man once tell me that if you aren't embarrassed by God's blessings on your life, then you haven't tapped into God because he's extravagant. And she was quoting Jim and saying those things and saying, you need to get over it. You need to just humble yourself and receive it. So anyway, great things are happening. So we've got materials someplace. To where, where is that? Out this way. And uh, I've got a lot of materials. I'd encourage you to check it out. We're on television all over uh, this area. And if you haven't checked that out, 
uh, I believe that uh, we've got things that would really, really bless you. So I want to start by just sharing this coming Wednesday, March the 23rd, will be the 54th anniversary of the night the Lord changed my life. I was born again 10 years before that, so it's been 64 years ago when I got born again. But I became a religious Pharisee. I didn't mean to do it. I just went to church. And this is what church taught. Church taught that you basically were accepted by God based on how good you were. And so I honestly tried to be as perfect as I could be. I'm, I'll be turning 73 next month, and I have never said a word of profanity in my whole life. I've never taken a drink of liquor. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never even tasted coffee. It's true. I've never tasted coffee. Some of you are thinking, coffee? What are you saying about coffee? I'm just saying I never tasted any of it. You can drink coffee. you got a scripture that says you can drink any deadly thing and it shall not harm you. So I'm not against coffee. I'm just saying I was living as separated a life to God as I could possibly get. But I fell into the mistake of thinking that God was going to love me and answer my prayers based on how good I was living. And uh, I tell you, that was just impossible. It didn't work. My dad died when I was 12 years old, and I fasted and prayed as an 11-year-old that he would be healed and didn't see anything happen. I had a guy that saw me on television, and he was my best friend in grade school. And uh, he saw me on television. He'd been in the drug rehab program and got born again. And when he saw me on television, he was just so excited, and he came from Texas up to Colorado to see me. And uh, he shared his testimony with me, and it was just wonderful to see how God had touched him. And so he said, when did you get saved? And I said, when I was eight. And he just got really quiet. You were saved when we were friends, and you didn't tell me? (laughs) Nobody could tell I was a Christian. If you'd have arrested me for being a Christian, there wouldn't have been enough evidence to convict me. I didn't have anything outwardly that was going on. I was saved, but I just was trusting in my own goodness. And so anyway, it's a long story, but on March the 23rd, 1968, this will show you how religious I was because every Saturday night, I and all of my best friends, we'd get together with the leadership of the church and we would pray from 10 o'clock until 11 o'clock on Saturday nights. That's what we did on Saturdays was have a prayer meeting. And so anyway, it was just real religious on my part. I would just pray really simple prayers, something like, God, forgive us of our many sins. Help us, send a revival, if it be your will, for Jesus' sake, amen. And I mean, my prayers would last a minute or two, and they just were real shallow. But there was our youth director, his name was Marion Warren, and this man was fanatical. And when he prayed, he would talk to God like he was a person. And he would get quiet, and God would talk back to him, and they'd have a conversation. And so I enjoyed listening to Marion pray, but once he prayed, there was nothing left for me to say. So I always prayed first and got my prayer out of the way so that I could enjoy Marion. And anyway, this night, March the 23rd, 1968, he came in, and while we were sitting around talking, he just fell on his face And he got to praying, and he prayed for like 20 minutes and just was talking to the Lord. And instead of praying with him, instead, I got mad. 
Because what was I going to say after he got through? And he was going to make me look bad. And I actually got mad at Marion thinking this isn't fair. And I was just thinking terrible things. And I don't know how this happened. But God showed up. And God just like pulled back a curtain and showed me that I had never prayed out of sincerity, I was praying to impress people. I was praying to get the people's attention. I was praying to try and earn something from him. And God just showed me that I was a religious hypocrite. And uh, I, te- I don't have the words to express what happened, but it wasn't just something that was a fleeting thought. I mean, I saw the glory of God, and compared to God... All of my righteousness was filthy rags. And I mean, it just devastated me. And my theology back then, I was raised in the Baptist church and I was told that God's the one that killed my father, that he needed him in heaven, that God would punish us. God was the one who put sickness on us and did things to break us and to humble us. And so because of my theology, when I saw how ungodly I was and that I was a total... Pharisee, a religious hypocrite. Now, I was born again. I didn't doubt that, but I just saw that, man, all of every good thing I'd ever done had been done with the totally wrong motivation. And when I saw that, I honestly thought that God was going to kill me. And I know some of you may not believe that, but that's, as an 18-year-old, that's what I thought. I thought God had shown up. I saw his glory and that God was going to kill me. And so before he killed me, I was going to confess every sin, everything I had ever done, trying, you know, hoping that if I died, I'd go to heaven instead of hell. And like I said, I hadn't done a lot of things outwardly, but Jesus said that if you've sinned in your heart, if you've lusted in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. If you've uh, hated in your heart, you're guilty of murder. And so... I started confessing every thought, everything I had ever done. And I was naming names. And it was the people that were in that room. And it was the leadership of that church. And whatever reputation I had, I just totally blew it. But instead of praying for two or three minutes, I prayed for like an hour and a half. I just turned myself inside out. No, God, forgive me. Because I had never... I tell you, there's some people that think that you're really a pretty good person. But if you ever get, if you ever see the glory of God, I guarantee you, in the Bible, every time people saw that, uh, Isaiah said, Woe unto me, for I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And every single person who's ever really encountered God, not religion, but God, Man, you recognize that compared to God and compared to what God intended us to be, none of us deserve anything. I just had some people this last week, some real big blessings happened in my life, and I had some people saying, you deserve it. And I told them, I said, I don't deserve anything except judgment. I said, but I'll receive it as a blessing. I understand the goodness and the grace of God, but anytime you think that you deserve something from God, you haven't seen the glory of God. None of us deserve anything. It's the goodness, it's the grace of God that makes everything available. So anyway, I just prayed and for an hour and a half, I turned myself inside out in front of all of these people, my best friends, the leadership of the church. And after an hour and a half of that, I had nothing left to say. I had confessed everything I had or would ever do. 
And I had nothing left to say. And I was just a puddle of tears on the floor waiting to see what God was going to do. And to my surprise, man, a tangible love of God just flowed over me that I can't describe to you. Uh, Charles Finney said it was like waves of liquid love flowing over him. And I mean, I was just caught up in the presence of God for four and a half months. I was just totally out of it. I didn't eat other than just to grab some. I couldn't sit down and eat when God loved you. And I couldn't sleep. I never slept more than an hour at a time. I, would, I got so sleepy that I remember one time walking out the door and think, I'll just rest for a second. And I leaned against the door and went to sleep. I was just so excited about the Lord. I couldn't eat or sleep. And I believe it could have continued on, but my mother thought I'd lost my mind. And so she sipped, sicked a Baptist pastor on me. And for, we went on this trip to burn Switzerland to a Billy Graham conference and for three and a half weeks this Baptist pastor just told me everything I was doing was of the devil and he got my eyes off of Jesus and got me to consider and you know is this right or wrong and that's the only reason that I think that uh, that wore off I'm not totally sure but after four and a half months I came back to being normal whatever that was and then panic set in because I didn't understand what I did to cause God's love to be revealed to me. And I didn't understand what I did to cause the feeling and the emotion to leave. And I mean, I just, I, once you taste something like that, there's no way you can go back to being normal. And so I was desperate. And I began to start seeking God and begging God to touch me again. And looking for a new touch from God. And I find that there's so many people in the body of Christ that this is where they live. They've encountered God to some degree. And they go back and they're hungry to have another experience. And they're just constantly seeking some brand new thing from the Lord. And uh, so anyway, one of the best things that ever happened to me was I got drafted and sent to Vietnam. And in Vietnam, it was really a blessing because I was over there and just totally by myself, and for 13 months, I sat in a bunker that I built, and I just read the Bible. I mean, I didn't know what to do, and there was like a pull from sin and things trying to suck me that direction, and the only way I could deal with it was to just stick my nose in the Bible and read, and so I just, out of desperation, started reading the Bible, and God started showing me things in the Word that gave me a revelation of his love. Not a feeling and not an emotion, but revelation, truth, set me free. And anyway, I'll be sharing some of these things this week as we go through it. But um, this is what has become the stability of my life. I had an encounter that grabbed my attention, that showed me that God was real, and showed me that he was more real than the physical, tangible things around us. But you can't live off an emotion. You can't live off of an experience. It's the truth that sets people free. And it was the revelation that God gave me through the word that just has given any stability and any good thing that has ever happened in my life happened because of the word of God. This encounter got my attention and drew me towards the Lord. And God still does those things. He's real. And he does want to manifest himself to you. But I can promise you, you cannot live off of a feeling 
and an emotion. I've actually had people come up to me before when I share my testimony and minister, and they'll say, would you pray for me that God will do something like that for me? And I'll tell them, no, <laughs> I won't. And they get shocked, like, why not? And I said, because most people, it's, an, it's addictive. It's like a drug. You can get addicted to feelings. Now, I'm not against feelings. Some people think I am, but I'm not against feelings. But you, there is a danger in feelings. Matter of fact, there's a scripture in Ephesians chapter 4 that says, They being beyond feelings have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness. And if you took it in context, I'm not going to turn over there, I'll preach on it. But if you took it in context, it's saying that there is a right use of feelings, but it's not supposed to drive or dominate us. And there's people that they honestly, they just don't feel like God loves them. And I have people come up and say, would you please pray that God will pour his love out in my life? No, I won't do that. And people think, well, why wouldn't you do that? Because God said he's already commended his love toward us through Christ. And that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. God isn't the one who turns on and off his love. It's you that turns on and off the feeling and the awareness of God's love. And for you to come and say, oh, God, would you just pour out your love and show me how much you love me? In a sense, that's a slap in the face of God. You're doubting what his word says. Now, I admit that we need to be, have an awareness of his love and we need to walk in it. But it, the way to do it isn't to say, oh, God, would you please do something? The way to do it is to stick your nose in the Bible and get hold of the truth and find out the truth. And you minister to yourself like David over in 1 Samuel chapter 30 when the uh, when his people spoke of stoning him to death, it says David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Most people come and say, would you please encourage me? No, you encourage yourself. Take the truth and get the word of God and you build yourself up. And if you don't feel like God loves you, then your feelings are wrong. And yet we've got a whole generation that it doesn't matter how you feel. I mean, I, it doesn't matter what truth is. It's all about feelings. But I don't feel God loves me. We'll pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up. <laughs> Amen. Because God loves you whether you feel it or not. And you've got to get to where you base your life on what God's word says and not on feelings. I had a woman that graduated from our Bible college. And this woman, uh, it, this, she gave me a cassette tape. This has been a long time ago, and she was teaching, and anyway, she was talk, talking about forgiveness, and she was talking about a young girl that came to her, and she had uh, an offense against her mother, and she, she just felt like her mother was treating her terrible, and she was really angry and bitter, and this woman said, I knew the mother. They were friends of mine, and she says they weren't perfect parents, but they were good parents. They loved this girl, and this girl took an offense where none was intended because the mother made them go to church, and because of that, you know, that was child abuse, and anyway, this girl was just saying how her parents were so bad, and on this day, <clears throat> this lady said, I knew that what she felt wasn't right, but it didn't matter what the truth was. To her, that's the way she felt. And so he dealt with her based on her feelings and took her through the steps of how to forgive her mother. I got so mad. I don't typically do this, but I got so mad listening to that. I pulled that cassette tape out and broke it into pieces and threw it out the window. It made me so mad because this is where most people live. Well, 
I know that God's with us. He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us, but I don't feel him. So God, would you please give me a feeling? Man, that is offensive to God. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And yet we come together into church and, oh God, would you please meet with us today? We have people that beg. You know, uh, Jim didn't do this because he's got the revelation of the word. But usually they will take me into a room and they will pray and beg God to come and be with us today. And anoint the speaker. And, oh God, move. And I, I never say anything because I'm so nice. But I think, if you don't believe I'm anointed, why in the world would you ask me to come to your church and wait until five minutes before the service and ask God to anoint me? And then you're praying that God will be with us. And then when we leave, oh God, go with us this week. How's he going to answer a dumb prayer like that? He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And yet you're asking him to go with you and to... That's the reason that our feelings are up and down like yo-yos is because you aren't acting on the word. And you're saying, but I know God said he'd be with me, but I don't feel him with me. So feeling is more important than what God's word says. That's a lie. And that's the reason that your life is in the mess of sin. That's the reason that when the doctor tells you you're going to die, you just fall apart like a $2 suitcase. And you know what the word says, but here's what the doctor says. You believe the word of the doctor. You believe what you feel more than you believe what God's word says. I'm telling you, any area of your life that you're in bondage, it's because somehow or another you have let feelings, circumstances, take precedent over what God's Word says. So it doesn't matter what you feel. If you feel the presence of God, like during praise and worship today, man, that was awesome. I love this praise and worship. You know, I was just studying this morning and reading in 1 Chronicles where David brought the ark into Jerusalem and he had all of these singers praising God and then he left them before the ark to praise God 24 hours a day and some people think well you know what good does it do to praise if nobody's there that's because again we've become so carnal in our thinking and we think praise and worship is all about us and why aren't you ministering to the people praise and worship ministers to God he inhabits the praises of his people. And David understood that and had people praising God 24 hours a day. But we get to where we're so, we're thinking about all of these external things. It's God is with you and you need to be praising him and thanking him. I don't care what you feel like, regardless of what things look like. God's word is absolute truth. And your life has to be based on truth and not based on feelings. Man, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, it's only been, uh, that was back in 2001, so that's been 21, is that right? 21 years? On March the 4th, my wife and I had just gotten back from a trip overseas, and we got in and went to bed at 2 o'clock in the morning, and at 4.15, my oldest son Joshua called, and he said, Dad, I'm sorry to tell you, but Peter, my youngest son, he says he's dead. And I asked him, I said, so what happened? And he told me what happened. I said, don't let anybody touch him till we get there. And so we had to get up out of bed and get dressed. It was an hour's drive into, this, into the town. And uh, we didn't have cell phones back then. And 
in, in anyway, my point is that I felt everything that anybody would feel if you were told that your son was dead. I began to feel grief, sorrow, uh, just everything. But you know what? I've learned that I can control how I feel. I don't let circumstances dictate to me how I feel. I choose how I feel. And if I don't like the way I'm feeling, I change it. And so I felt grief, and I felt sorrow, and I felt confusion, and I felt all of these things. And so as we were driving into town, I just didn't like it. And I began to say, I am going to praise God. I don't care what has happened. And I started glorifying God and just thanking God and telling him, thank you that you are not the one that killed my son, that you're a faithful God. And I just started worshiping God and talking about how good God is. And I guarantee you, I didn't feel like doing it. But I knew that feelings are, it's not the caboose of the train, it's the engine of the train. It says in James chapter 1 that you conceive sin in your emotions. That's my interpretation. The NIV says that lust, when it con or the King James says lust when it conceives brings forth sin. The NIV says desire when it conceives. It's talking about your emotions. Did you know you conceive sin in your emotions? And every time you give place to a negative emotion... You're having intercourse with the devil. Conception. Sin doesn't come upon you like a seizure. You conceive sin. And it's conceived in your emotions. Some of you are looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Let me show you this verse over here in James chapter 1. Let me read this to you. I'm just giving an introduction, but uh, this is good. In James chapter 1, in verse 14, it says, "But ev Well, let me back up to verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brother, and every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That means that there's no exceptions to this. This says that lust, are, is, when it conceives, brings forth sin. Sin has to be conceived. I'm not going to take time to explain this. Hopefully all of you know how children are born. But they don't happen by the stork. You don't get pregnant by standing next to somebody who's pregnant or drinking the water after them. You have to conceive children. And you have to conceive sin is what the scripture says. Sin is conceived, and it's conceived in your emotions. Did you know that you cannot do anything in your body that you haven't already done in your heart? You can't commit adultery if you hadn't already thought it and conceived it in your heart. You can't hate a person and, and vocalize that and act on it without having already conceived it in your heart. Sin has to be conceived, and it's conceived in your desires, in your emotions. So don't, 
em, embrace negative emotions. Don't ever embrace loneliness. People will talk about I'm lonely during this COVID thing that people have been separated and they're dealing with loneliness. I don't understand that. Man, I was, I, was, I was by myself, basically. The only Christians I ever met in Vietnam were the ones I led to the Lord. And I was just by myself. But I was never by myself because I was with God. And because of it, a person that feels lonely, it's because you are not looking at what the Word of God says about Jesus never leaving you nor forsaking you. We were singing these songs. Man, that second song that you sang today is one of my favorites about He's never going to let us down. He'll never leave us. It's awesome. If you thought on things like that, emotions follow your thoughts. If you're depressed, it's because you're thinking on depressing things. If you're lonely, it's because you're thinking what you don't have instead of what you do have, the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. It's because you're basing your life on just external things. And I tell you, most Christians today are plugged into the world more than they're plugged into God. They are watching the, the you know, as the stomach turns on television. They are watching all of the unbelief and all of the negative things. And then you wonder why you're depressed. I actually saw a bumper sticker that says, if you aren't depressed, you aren't paying attention. And did you know that that's true in the natural? If all you're doing is looking at things, something's wrong with you if you aren't depressed. But if you are looking at God and all of His promises and standing on the Word of God, this is a glorious time. People in the Old Testament longed for what you and I have. They had the Holy Spirit that would come upon them occasionally, but you and I, He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Where two or three are gathered together in His name, there He is in our midst. God is here. God Himself is here. The Holy Spirit is present with us this morning. And if you aren't enjoying that, it's not because God has turned off the spigot and you got to say, oh God, touch me. It's because something's wrong with you. You know, we're using a wireless microphone. This thing sends a signal back there and it receives it and then it rebroadcasts it over the speakers. Did you know that there's other signals in here? There's FM signals, there's AM signals, there's television signals in here. And if you, if you say, I don't believe that, why? Because you can't see or can't hear them? That doesn't mean that they aren't here. It just means you aren't real smart. <laughs> They're here. There's a lot of things going on that you can't see or perceive. And did you know it's like that with God? God is with us. If you aren't experiencing the benefit, it's not God's transmitter who's broken. It's your receiver. If you were watching television and all of a sudden, sudden the signal goes off, most of you don't call the television station and say, why did you turn off the signal? Most of you would go check and see, did somebody kick the plug out? Is something wrong with my television set? We would check our receiver first. But most people, if you don't feel healed, God, why haven't you healed me? God has already healed you. By his stripes, you're healed. It's not God that's not transmitting and releasing healing. It's you that doesn't know how to receive. And one of the biggest things that blocks our receiver is us looking and just thinking in the natural, carnal. You know, the word carnal to most Christian means terrible, sinful, bad. But the, but the word carnal just means of the five senses. You're controlled by what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. When, you know the word carnal, if you look it up in the Strong's Concordance, it literally means uh, 
the flesh as stripped of skin. Not talking about just your skin, but flesh is what it means. That's what the word carnal means. Is It literally means meat. When you say chili con carne, did you know the word carne comes from the word, the same Greek word that carnal comes from? It means chili with meat. So when we say you're carnally minded, we're calling you a meathead. <laughs> you're just going by what you feel and what you see. That's carnal. And the Bible says they that are carnal cannot please God. Those that are in the flesh cannot please God. To be carnally minded is death. Romans chapter 8 verse 6. To be carnally minded is death. It didn't say it tends towards death. It's one of the leading causes of death. It says to be carnal minded is death. Carnal mindedness equals death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. What is spiritually minded? John 6, 63, Jesus said, it's the spirit that quickens, it's the, fl the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So to be spiritually minded is to be word minded. What does the word of God say? The word of God says, you're healed. Your body, the doctor says, no, you're sick. Are you going to be carnally minded and let what you've been told and feel dominate you? Or does God's word dominate you? Quiet in this Presbyterian church. <laughs> and let me say that this isn't something you just decide and boom, it works. This is something you got to train yourself in. It took you decades to become as carnal as you are. Dominated by what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. It took you a lifetime to arrive at where you are. And you aren't going to just turn this thing around instantly. It's as simple as what I'm saying, but it's not easy to get to where God's Word is more real to you than anything else. You know, I got away from my story I was telling, but as I was driving in and my son uh, had died and I just started praising God and saying, I am not going to let feelings dominate me. And I started praising God. All of a sudden, the Lord brought prophecies back to my mind about this boy. I was in Ireland, and a woman I'd never seen before came up and says, You've got two boys, and the youngest is going to turn to the Lord before the oldest. She didn't know that I had two kids, and she didn't know they were boys, and she didn't know that they weren't seeking the Lord. And yet she prophesied, and I knew that was God. And then I had a man in California in one of my prayer lines. I was going down the line, and when I got to him... He says, I'm not here to receive prayer. I'm here to tell you that you got two boys and the youngest is going to turn to the Lord before the oldest. And as I was just praising God, all of a sudden I remembered these prophecies and I thought, man, that had to be God. They couldn't know this. God spoke those things to me and it hadn't come to pass yet and all of a sudden not my lightning fast mind connected the dots that if those prophecies were from God and my youngest was going to turn to the Lord before the oldest and he hadn't turned to the Lord yet, then he had to live. And all of a sudden, I just started praising God. Jamie thought I'd lost my mind. And I said, this is going to be the greatest miracle that we've ever seen. And when we got in, uh, he'd been dead for five hours. He was a white boy and he'd turned totally black. You could push and his flesh wouldn't come back. They had stripped him naked, put him in a, a cooler, and put a toe tag on him. He was dead. And he just sat up and started talking. And today, he's alive and well. 
And I've got a granddaughter that was born the next year through him, and she just turned 20 years old. Mike here that's with me, he knows Jonathan Peter, and Jonathan is a smart guy. And no brain damage, no more than he had before. And you know how that happened? I I am convinced that if I would have let my emotions go by what I was experiencing, that I wouldn't have seen my son raised from the dead. And I'm convinced the same thing for you, that if you allow your emotions to dominate you, well, I just don't see God anywhere. I don't see anything. I just don't feel like God loves me. You entertain that emotion and you have just conceived sin. It may not manifest itself in adultery or something else, but it will manifest itself in defeat and failure. You've got to base your life on what the Word of God says, not what you feel, not what circumstances look like. And I'm telling you, this is is how simple the Christian life is. This is God's report of what He thinks about you and what He's done for you. And Satan controls the majority of things that are going on in our world, the majority of the news, the majority of information that you get. And Satan is just constantly bombarding you with things that look contrary to what God's Word says about you. And so what are you going to do? Are you going to go by what God's Word says? Are you going to go by what you feel and what circumstances look like? And the sad fact is most Christians let circumstances and things trump everything else. And that's the reason that Satan is stealing from people. Brothers and sisters, God has supplied everything that you and I will ever need. You don't need God to heal you. God has already healed you. 1 Peter 2.24 By His stripes we were healed. And so you don't even need to pray, Oh God, heal me. He's already healed you. Why would you ask God to give you something that He's already given you? You know, I've often, when I'm preaching, I'll give my Bible to somebody and they'll, be happy, they'll hold it in their lap. And I said, now why would you ask me to give you my Bible if you've already got it? If you've already got it, why are you asking me to get it? It's because you don't believe you've got it. The reason you're asking God to heal you is because you don't believe what His Word says, that by His stripes you were healed. The reason you're asking God to touch you, and oh God, give me joy when the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The reason you're asking for it is because you don't believe it, because you don't feel it. To most people, feeling is more important than God. It's more important than anything else. You need to get to where you base your life on God's Word. And you can't base your life on God's word if you don't know what it says. If what I'm saying is true, then the rest of the Christian life ought to be just, man, sticking your nose in this book and studying it and memorizing it, getting it in your heart until it becomes a literal part of you. And over a period of time, you can renew yourself to where you just can't do anything different. You know, Jim picked us up from the hotel today and drove us over here, and we were talking about during the COVID thing that, um, you know, they tried to close us down. And our governor in Colorado is the first open homosexual governor in the nation. And he's just not a very godly man. And, uh, man, he, he did some terrible things. And so for a couple of weeks, I closed down because we didn't know what was happening and I didn't know where it was going. But after 30 days, the Colorado Constitution only gives emergency powers for 30 days. 
And after 30 days, you have to go to the Congress to get them to extend it. He didn't go to Congress. He just kept extending his mandates and all of this kind of stuff. So I wrote him a letter, and I said, look, we voluntarily submitted for a while, but you're against the Constitution, and you're against the Word of God. The church is essential. And uh, I just said, we are through voluntarily cooperating. And I said, we aren't wearing masks, and we aren't social distancing, and we are meeting together. We have a facility that seats 3,200 people, and then we have, uh, you could put 5,000 people in our building easy. And uh, they only limited us to 100 and I think 17 people. And I just told him, I said, I'm through cooperating. I said, we're meeting. And I had 7,400 people sign it. We sent it to the governor and said, forget it. <laughs> so he, he gave me a cease and desist order and threatened to arrest me. And we had to make plans if I get arrested. And I sued him twice and he sued me twice. <laughs> and eventually uh, he just wrote me a letter and he says, you win. He says, I'll leave you alone if you'll leave me alone. <laughs> and so that's what we've done. But my point is, Jim was asking on the way over, he says, did that cause you any you know, stress or how did you feel during this? And I felt those temptations. I am not emotionless, believe it or not. <laughs> my staff took data from Star Trek. If any of you ever watched Star Trek, they took data and put my face on his body and um, because they called me Android Womack. <laughs> because I, they say, you just don't have any emotions. I do have emotions. I just choose which ones I enjoy and, and let dominate me. But anyway, uh, he was asking, did, how, so did this stress you out? Did you have any anxiety? Well, I had the temptation come, but honestly, it's like what I'm saying. I have spent decades, 54 years, meditating in the Word and basing my life on what God's Word says, and God is more real to me than the governor of Colorado. He is more real to me than getting arrested or anything else. And if you base your life on this, it literally eliminates your options. What option did I have? Was I going to listen to somebody tell me that the church is unimportant? And I can't do that. I just, I can't do it. You can literally let the Word of God get so dominant in your life that you don't know how to disbelieve God. You don't know how to have fear. You can be tempted with it, but you just, you build up this momentum. It's like you're going a thousand miles an hour. And when you are going a thousand miles an hour, you can't make a U-turn. But if you're just barely moving, it doesn't take much for you to turn around and go the other direction. But you can build up speed and momentum so that if some, the devil puts a brick wall in front of you, it's not going to stop you. It might be a crash, but that wall will not stop you. You'll go through it. And this is the way that you build your life is you just take the truths of God's word and let it start transforming you. Man, I've never given that long of an introduction in my life. <laughs> So I'm just going to have a little bit of time to lay some groundwork, and then I'll be dealing with this all of my sessions uh, this week. But when I experienced that love of God, I realized God was real more than I had ever understood. And, man, I had a desire to get back there. And then when I got drafted and sent to Vietnam, uh, man, I was just in desperation. And I literally spent 13 months in Vietnam asking God to kill me 
and let me go to heaven. Not because of Vietnam and how bad it was, but because I just figured that you can't experience that same love and joy and peace here on the earth that I had experienced. It was like I got a taste of heaven, and I was so hungry to go to heaven that I was praying that God would just take me to heaven. And then I nearly died twice in one day, and I found out I really wasn't as excited about dying as I thought I was. And I realized that, man, this, this is probably not the right thing to pray. And so I just started studying the Word. And this is when God started giving me a revelation of the Word. You know, before I get right into that, let me just say that I was a chaplain's assistant. And I went out with my chaplain one time. And he was a Protestant chaplain, but it was similar to what the Catholics do, that they were going to give uh, last rites to these people because uh, it was a little fire support base. It only had just, I don't know, a couple of dozen people on it and they were being overrun by the NBA and they were probably all going to die. So they sent the chaplain out there to have a service right before these people all died. So I went with the chaplain and it was an area that wasn't any bigger than this auditorium right here. And uh, we took something like a hundred and something mortars inside of that perimeter in the couple of hours that I was there. And I mean, you could see the muzzle fire from the weapons coming up the hill. And, uh, and it looked like we were all going to die. And I can tell you that I was so excited. I was thinking, God, this is awesome. I said, I could be in heaven before the night's over. And instead of having fear, again, your emotions follow what you think. And I was seeing people die all around me and things happen. And yet I was so desirous to be in heaven with the Lord that I actually was just praising God and thinking this is awesome. And I had my M16 pointed down the hill and I never fired because they were so far off it wouldn't have done any good. But you could see the muzzle fire from their weapons as they were coming up the hill. And I was, had my M16 pointed down the hill at them and I was thinking, God, I know where I'm going. But what about these Vietnamese? And I started praying for them and interceding for the people that were trying to kill us. And I was just feeling love and compassion come out of me. And it was just another day in Vietnam. I didn't even ride home and tell anybody about it. But, you know, 20-something years later, I was ministering in Chicago, and a guy came up and gave me his book and signed it and wanted me to read it. And it was about 12 testimonies of people that got born again and things that happened through Vietnam. And so I knew he was going to ask me about it, so I read it just to satisfy him. And it was really good. So I read another one. And it turned out that three of those people were there the same time I was there. Two of them were in the AmeriCal division that I was in. And I believe one of them was on that hill. Because he was, I'm not sure that it was the same thing, but he was describing exactly what we went through. And right after the chaplain was, was uh taken out by a helicopter, the Vietnamese overran that hill and killed all but one or two guys. And he was telling his story and how he came to the Lord. And my point is, 20 years later, seeing it through the eyes of an unbeliever, recording those things, fear came on me. And I had to stay up all night long praying in tongues to get this fear off of me. And yet when I was there, I had zero fear because my heart and my mind was stayed upon the Lord. So your emotions follow what you're thinking. If your emotions, man, if you aren't excited about the Lord, if you don't sense faith and joy and peace, it's not God who's the problem. It's what you're focusing on. 
You're carnal. You're listening to the things of the world. And the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans chapter 8. So anyway, here, here we go. And, <laughs> praise God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I was just reading this in Vietnam. And it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I was reading that, and I was thinking, God, I know I'm born again. But man, old things haven't passed away in my life. All things haven't become new. And I wasn't sitting here questioning what the Lord said, but I just was saying, I don't understand this. Explain to me. Because I looked and there were so many things in me that was wrong. I was an introvert. I was uh, totally introverted when I was a kid. And I couldn't look at a person and say hi to them. I couldn't talk to a stranger. And I had this desire to share the word with people. And yet I was so introverted that I couldn't talk to people. And there was just so many things in my life that were not new. And yet this scripture says if you're in Christ... Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And I just was thinking, God, what I'm seeing does not match up with what your word is saying. And I just had a disconnect and I was struggling and saying, God, what's the answer? And here's what the Lord spoke to me. And I'm going to use this as a foundation of uh, what I'll share with you this week. But here in, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. But over in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let me read this verse to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He's praying a prayer. And he said uh, in verse 23, he says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And man, that just dawned on me it says he prayed that your whole spirit and soul and body would be preserved blameless and I personally didn't make any distinction between your spirit and your soul I just thought that they were the same thing it was just a different word matter of fact if you look the word spirit up in uh, the Greek in the Strong's Greek concordance it will say that the word pneuma means the immortal soul. So it'll use soul to define what spirit is. And so even Strong's does not make a difference between soul and spirit. But that verse, and there's many others, but this one is just as clear as it can be, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved. You are three parts, not just two parts. It's obvious to everybody what your body is. That's the part of me that you're looking at. This is my body. And then there's an inner person. That's what the Bible calls your soul, your mental, your emotional part. And everybody's aware of that. You know, somebody could come up and tap you on the shoulder and you can feel that. But somebody could say words to you and you can feel that too. They could say words that will make you happy or words that will make you sad. So all of us are aware that there is a physical part to us. And we're also aware that there's a mental, emotional part. And that's as far as most people go. If I was to ask you, you know, if you were coming to this meeting and said, I'd like to meet you, and I say, well, how will I recognize you? Did you know you can describe your physical body to me? You could tell me if you're a man or a woman. You could tell me if you're tall or short, fat or skinny. 
You could describe your hair color, your eye color. You, could, you know your body, and you also know your soul. If I was to ask you, how are you? And if you realized I wasn't talking about just your physical body, but how are you emotionally, you could describe to me how you are. You could tell me you're encouraged or discouraged, or you could tell me what your personality is like. Most people are aware of your body and your soul. But if I was to ask you, what's your spirit like? Most people don't have a clue. And it's just vague. And even if you have heard things about it, we don't focus on it. But the spirit is the part of you that is brand new. That verse that I've already quoted, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's not talking about your body. If you were fat before you got saved, you're still going to be fat after you get saved. Your body doesn't change. If you were a man, regardless of what people are saying today, if you were a man before you got saved, you'll still be a man after you get saved. And if you were a woman, you'll still be a woman. Your body doesn't change. And your mental emotional part doesn't instantly change. It's subject to change. It can be renewed through the Word of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, but it doesn't just immediately change. Did you know you have your memories, not my memories? I minister in different countries, and if people learned, you know, Spanish or Vietnamese or whatever, you learn that language. That's what you remember. Your soul is, it stays the same. Now, you can renew it and change it, but you don't instantly change. It's not old things that passed away. All of your negative experiences don't instantly leave the moment you get born again. Your soul and your body are the same as they were before you got saved, unless you've been on a diet or unless you've re-educated yourself. So what does it mean when it says, if any man's in Christ? Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You can tell by just observation. It's not talking about your body and it's not talking about your soul. So what's left? The spirit. And this is what transformed my life. I was seeking for an emotional thing. And this is, again, the reason that I won't pray for people to just have a great emotional encounter with the Lord. There's a place for that, and I'm not saying that that's wrong, but if you aren't careful, you'll become addicted to those emotions. And if you don't feel the Lord the way you felt Him yesterday, you'll say, God, what's wrong? You know, if God was to answer some of your prayers, and you're praying, oh, God, just reveal yourself, do something, and you're waiting on an angelic voice or a bolt of lightning or a goose bump to run up and down your spine, and if God answered your prayer and gave you what you wanted then the next day you'd be ruined. Because if he doesn't do it again, you'd think, God, why, why did you do it yesterday and haven't done it today? And you would immediately get into doubt and go to wondering about whether God loves you. One of the reasons God doesn't give us more emotional experiences is because we've become so dependent upon it. And Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. Did you know God could make a bird come sit on your shoulder and whisper in your ear and tell you he loves you every day? He could write it on every cloud. God can do those things, but he, he's not prone to do it because without faith it's impossible to please him. And most of us are wanting God to manifest in some way that it doesn't take any faith. And we're looking for that. But that's not the way that God is. God is trying to bring us up to his level because faith is so superior to sight. 
and feeling. Man, that's, that's a big statement. And most people don't agree with that, but it's true. You know, by the grace of God, in nine years, we built over $130 million worth of buildings debt-free. By the grace of God. And when we see it, when the buildings are finished, we have a dedication service. And, you know, Jim and I were talking during praise and worship today. And when Mary was having everybody move to the left and move to the right, I just don't do stuff like that much. I'm not really demonstrative. And I did it a little bit. (laughs) But anyway, I'm just not very demonstrative. You know, I went to Disney World. And uh, they took a, you know, you go on the roller coaster and they take a picture right as you're going over the thing and they try and sell it to you. You could take a picture of me right now and that's exactly the way I look. (laughs) I never change. You can ask Mike. I'm just, I'm just always the same. I have to tell people when I'm excited. (laughs) Because you can't tell it by the way I act. So anyway, why was I saying that? I got off the track. I was talking about my buildings, and we had that. Thank you, Jim. And we had the building dedication, and I was just like this. And somebody came up, aren't you excited? I said, yes, I'm excited. They said, well, you don't act excited. You aren't yelling and running like everybody else. And I said, look, I got excited 13 months ago when we designed this thing. And that's when I saw it. And when we, we took over this building, and we didn't have the money to finish it, and so uh, I had my builder come and put duct tape on the floor where every wall, every door was. And I walked around that 114,000 square foot building and I never stepped across the tape anywhere. I would go and say, this is a wall. And I'd walk over through the door and I put buckets down and I put uh, plywood on top and I stood there with nobody in there and preached like there was 100 people, 1,000 people in there. I saw that building built long before I saw it built. That's faith. And did you know that's, that's what excites me. And when you see the physical thing done, it's like, well, let's go on to the next thing. What's, what's next? It's more exciting to walk by faith than it is by sight. And this is what Paul said, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. And yet most Christians walk by sight and not by faith. I've, I've prayed for people before. And all of their pain leaves. And I say, man, you're healed. And they'll say, well, I'm going to go to the doctor and find out. And I just want, man, if I was God, the spirit of slap had come all over me. I'd just <laughs> drop kick them off into space. Like, what's wrong with you? God said, if you ask, you receive. If you seek, you find. And yet you're going to sit here and wait until the feelings change or until a doctor tells you you're healed instead of going by what God says? I know some of you think I'm weird, but I think you're weird for not operating in what the Word of God says and being carnal and letting your five senses dominate you. I'm telling you, God's Word is absolute final authority in my life. And when I saw that there was a third part to me, the Spirit, man, this just transformed me. How do you know what's going on in the Spirit? See, you can just feel what's happening to your body. If I said, how are you? You can tell me if you're hot or cold. You don't have to say, well, let me pray about it, and I'll come back and tell you tomorrow night. 
You know if you're hot or cold. You know if there's pain in your body. And I don't have to ask you when you're talking about your soul, are you encouraged or discouraged? You don't have to pray about it and think about it. You just constantly monitor those areas. But how do you know what you are in the Spirit? Again, that which is spirit is spirit. Jesus said this in John chapter 3, talking to Nicodemus. That which is spirit is spirit, and that which is flesh is flesh. That's just a way of saying that the physical world and the spiritual world are not the same. You can't perceive the spirit world in just carnal, physical, natural ways. Now again, there's not a total disconnect. Jesus said that the spirit is like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effect that the wind has on trees and leaves. And so there, there are things that you can perceive, but there is not a, a clear connection between the physical and the spiritual. How do you know what's like, what you're like in the spiritual? Again, Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And James chapter 1 says, whoever looks into this perfect law of liberty is like a man that beholds his face in a mirror. So this word of God is a spiritual mirror. If I want to see if my hair is combed, I hope my hair is combed, but I can't prove it. Did you know you've never <laughs> Did you know you've never seen your face? Some of, well, I have too saw it this morning. No, you saw a reflection of your face. You've seen an image of your face. You've seen a drawing of your face, but you with your eyes have never looked yourself in the face. How do you know that that image is correct? You know, this is one of the things that really bothered me when I first went on television. Because when you look in a mirror and you hold up your left hand, the person in the mirror holds up their right hand. It's a mirror image. But when you're on television, if you hold up your left hand, the person on the monitor holds up their left hand. It's opposite. And so if you've got lint on your shoulder... And they say it's on your left shoulder. You're looking at the monitor. You know what? Anyway, it messes with your brain is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> How do you know that the image you're looking at is correct? Hadn't you ever seen one of those mirrors that makes you either tall and skinny or short and fat? How do you know that what you're seeing is correct? I'm not trying to get you to doubt the mirror. What I'm doing is saying that, see, you take an image that is not really accurate. It's not totally accurate. And yet you learn how to base decisions and things on that. This is a spiritual mirror. And when somebody asks you how you are, are you going to respond about your physical body? Oh, the doctor says I'm dying. Or are you going to respond about your soul, how you feel? Oh, I'm discouraged today. Or are you going to go by what the Word says and say, let me look. And you say, oh, right here, I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. I'm above only and not beneath. I'm the head and not the tail. Most people don't respond based on the Spirit. They respond based on the flesh, and that's the problem. If you think in the flesh, you're going to reap flesh. You've got to be spiritually minded. The Word of God is Spirit, and it is life. And when I saw this, I began to start getting into the Word to find out what my spirit was like. And this is what changed my life. That encounter I had with the Lord got my attention. But what changed my life is when I found out who I was in the spirit. I call this uh, spirit, soul, and body. I've got a book teaching on that. And that because that's the way that God spoke it to me. But it's really teaching about identity in Christ, who you are in Christ. 
And when I begin to see that you can't, you can't let who you are in Christ dominate you if you don't know who you are in Christ. So the first step is you've got to find out your true identity. And then once you start marinating in this and let it just saturating your thoughts and everything, you get to where you base your entire life on what God says about you instead of what other people say about you. You know, I've never been the sharpest knife in the drawer. I had one of my CEOs get up and introduce me just a few months ago, and he says, Andrew has never been accused of being the smartest person in the room. And it's true. I am. If I was God, I wouldn't have chosen me. My flesh is not the best flesh. But you know what? The, diff, the thing that has made God's blessings abound in my life is I found out who I am in Christ. And I've based my life on that. And because of it, I have seen my son raised from the dead. I've seen my wife raised from the dead. I've seen many people raised from the dead. We see miracles happen on a regular basis because of the things that I'm beginning to share. And so this is what I'm going to do all of this week is just share with you the things that God showed me, who I am in the Spirit, what I have, and how you can begin to base your life on it. And the good news is, see, that my flesh, there's in the natural realm, we all have different talents and abilities. Some are taller and, and uh, stronger than others and things like that. But in the Spirit, we're all identical because it is the Spirit of His Son sent into our heart. And every one of us in the Spirit have the exact same potential as Jesus because it's not you living, it's Christ living in you. So if you're in the flesh, well then you'll constantly be evaluating and comparing yourself and thinking, well, they did this, but I don't know if I can do that. But if you get into the Spirit, anything that you see any person do through the power of God's Holy Spirit, you can do because in the Spirit you're identical to them. It is Christ's spirit living on the inside of you. The body of Christ has an identity crisis. We don't know who we are in Christ. We only know ourselves after the flesh. Paul said, I don't know any man after the flesh anymore. Because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That's the, that's the uh, context of that verse that I've already quoted two or three times today. He said in that previous verse, I don't know anybody now after the flesh. I only know them in Christ because if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. If you take a text out of context, all you got left is a con. You put it in context and praise God, you are a new person and Sad to say most of us don't even know who we are and what we have. And so we spend all of our time asking God to do what he's already done, asking God to give what he's already giving, given, and begging God to do things. And I tell you, praise God for the mercy of God that he's merciful to us. Because, man, if I was God, I'd just turn you into a pile of ashes for rejecting everything that the word of God says. Man. You ought to be glad I'm not God. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I've got a lot of my instructors in the school. Matter of fact, we, just last week, we had uh, one of the pastors there in Colorado Springs, and he was talking to Dwayne Sheriff. I don't know how many of you know him, but he's uh, on my board, and he's uh, one of our ministers in our school. And Dwayne was concerned about whether he said things as passionate as he should 
And this pastor was telling him, says, Dwayne, you always say things with a lot of compassion. It was okay. You weren't too hard. And he says, some people, it's like doing surgery without an anesthetic. And then he looked over at me. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm just real blunt because this is the way God is with me. But it really will help you. It may not feel good, but it will help you. It's like rubbing a cat. And if you rub a cat the wrong way and all of their hair, you know, if you're against grain and all their hair stands up, you know how to solve that problem. You just turn the cat around and keep rubbing. (laughs) And it'll all lay down. And so if what I've said rubbed you the wrong way, repent, turn around, and this will go to feeling good. Amen. (laughs) Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So, Father, I just thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the things that you've shown me. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I believe that this is going to help them. That, Father, you would open up people's hearts today to recognize that our problem isn't with you. You're always transmitting. It's our receiver that's the problem. And, Father, open up our hearts. As Jim was praying this morning when we put our hands on our heart and asked for revelation, Father, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would reveal to each one of us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, that you would show us the exceeding greatness of your power towards us, things that you've already done. And I'm praying that people would receive this and go to believing what you say about them, and we believe that that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So, Father, I just thank you in advance for all of the lives that are going to be completely changed this week. We thank you for it. And we receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Right before I turn this back over to Jim, let me just say that if there's anybody here that does not know Jesus personally, if all you are is a person who acknowledges that God exists, but if you haven't committed your life to him, that's not true salvation. The Bible says in James 2.19 that even the devils believe and tremble at the name of Jesus. But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. The devil believes in God to the point that he trembles. And yet he's not born again. He's not saved. You may believe that there's a God, but have you ever committed your life to him and said, I trust you only for the forgiveness of my sins? If you've never done that, we definitely want to give you an opportunity to do that today. And then also, if you have been born again, and you know if you were to die, you'd go to heaven. But if you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes a lot of things, but it includes speaking in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, I guarantee you, you cannot receive the truths that I'm going to be sharing without the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You've got to have the Holy Spirit reveal things to you. And this, again, is why so many people are going through their Christian life without any revelation is because they don't have the working of the Holy Spirit in their life. So if you have been born again, but if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, I guarantee you, you need that. And uh, Jim's got prayer ministers here, and I'm not sure exactly how you handle the invitation, but I'll let him do it. But if you don't have those two things, every person, 
Every person must be born again and must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we'll be praying for you for healing and for all kinds of things. But those are two things that every person needs. So please don't leave today without receiving those two things. Your eternal destiny is dependent upon it. Amen. So Pastor Jim, I'll turn it back over to you.